Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 3rd. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the former chancellor of the University of Mississippi says then-Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves once acknowledged the benefits of Medicaid expansion, but said he couldn't support it for political reasons. Then the House passes a bill that would divert special tax revenue in Jackson away from roads and bridges and into the water system, plus opening the door for package stores to operate on Sundays. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A former University of Mississippi chancellor says Republican Governor Tate Reeves spoke privately with him years ago about the benefits of expanding Medicaid to people in low-wage jobs. Dr. Dan Jones spoke yesterday at a news conference organized by Democratic state lawmakers, where he recalled that conversation with the then-Lieutenant Governor. According to Jones, Reeves acknowledged during a meeting that expanding Medicaid would benefit Mississippi's economy and provide health care to more residents in a state with poor health outcomes. But Jones says Reeves told him he wouldn't support the policy for political reasons. Reeves later responded on social media, saying Jones' remarks were an obvious lie and questioned why the former university administrator would hold on to that information for eight years. Jones served as vice chancellor at the University of Mississippi Medical Center before his appointment as chancellor. Our Michael Guidry spoke with Jones yesterday about his observations as a leader of the medical center and his encounter with Tate Reeves. As, as the person charged with overseeing the medical center um, for those years and, and, and working with the univer- in the administration of the University of Mississippi at large, what are some of the observations that you made uh, about the state of health care uh, in Mississippi during those times, especially you know, post-2010 when the Affordable Care Act passed and this idea of expanded Medicaid became an option? Yeah. So, so um, uh, it's a, a very painful observation. Uh, you know, we are always there to provide health care for uh, citizens who need it. Unfortunately, uh, law requires um, the medical center and all health care facilities uh, to charge patients. And so, you know, so many patients that we saw who were uninsured wound up in medical bankruptcy because of the uh, the bills uh, that they had. Uh, there were there were charity programs, but people who were 
really the, the, the primary aim of this Medicaid expansion uh, process are people who work, who have some income, but not enough to buy private health insurance and wouldn't qualify for most charitable um, programs in hospitals. And so I uh, saw so many people who needed health care who came to it too late because uh, because they were not insured and then uh, incurred large bills uh, during that process. Very, very sad. And of course, taking care of those uninsured patients put a great strain on uh, our health system and made it more difficult to take care of other patients. So how did the general conversations, um, it's just within the medical community, uh, about Medicaid expansion and about what it could do for for the state's health care system, what did those conversations sound like um, within the medical community uh, as as that became an option? Yeah. So uh, certainly there's been strong support in the medical community for Medicaid expansion and you know, some of that is probably uh, self-serving because it does put more dollars in the pockets of healthcare providers. But honestly, the vast majority of physicians and other healthcare providers I've talked to have their primary interest of the patients. The patients who need healthcare need access to healthcare, and uh, this would uh, would broaden the number of people who had good access to healthcare. And so as someone working in hospital administration, what did those conversations with lawmakers begin to look like? And what interactions did you have uh, uh, about this specific issue uh, that kind of shed light on the political attitudes uh, of Medicaid expansion? Yeah. So sadly, in, in Mississippi and, and uh, now 11 other uh, conservative states, <coughs> many of the politicians simply looked at this as a political issue and didn't want to do anything to support what uh, uh, was the Affordable Care Act, what they preferred to call Obamacare. And it was simply a refusal to consider the needs of Mississippians and uh, the the needs of uh, of people who needed health care. It was simply a political process for them to oppose anything passed by a Democrat. And now you've claimed that you had a meeting within Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves uh, where the topic of Medicaid expansion came up. And the then Lieutenant Governor, according to your account, put his personal political priorities ahead. Can you kind of recount that uh, that, that, that conversation uh, for us and, and what was kind of said between the two of you? Yeah. As, as I mentioned at the, uh, at the press conference, I'm not certain of the date. It was sometime during my time as chancellor, toward the end of my time as chancellor. And I was chancellor from 2009 to 2015. So it was, it was during, that, during that time, and I think it was toward the, the latter part, but I don't remember the date exactly. And he, he was in, in Oxford for fundraising activities. And, and as uh, politicians often do when they're in Oxford, would, would make contact with, with me as, in, in my role as chancellor for a courtesy visit. And so I took the opportunity to talk about one of my personal passions, access to health care, and uh, uh, wanted to be sure he was aware of the benefit to individual Mississippi families uh, and the potential benefit to the economy of Mississippi. And he, 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 he made it very clear in the conversation that he was certainly aware of the benefit that it would bring medically and the benefit that it could bring economically, uh, but then went on to say 
that he would not support Medicaid expansion because it was not in his personal political interest. And that's, again, you know, that's the simply opposing something because of who initiated the health care reform. Now, since you made first made uh, made those comments and, and shared, um, you know, your recollection of, of that exchange with legislative Democrats at the Capitol, uh, the governor's taken to social media. Uh, he's said this is obviously a lie and question why you would hold on to, quote, such a juicy scoop for eight years. Uh, do you have a response to that um, uh, as to as to the the validity of your claim and that you uh, are holding on to this scoop for eight years. Yeah. So uh, the, the certainly uh, uh, the conversation took place. Uh, there, there's no no question that the conversation took place, and I'm not surprised that he's denying it. He may not remember it. You know, it was a significant conversation for me uh, because of of the way the conversation unfolded. It probably was not a significant conversation for him because he was, you know, taking the political position that he takes in every conversation that he has about Medicaid expansion. So in terms of of, uh, why this time and not earlier, uh, so number one is the current health care crisis. The the health care crisis is real, uh, and his refusal to address it in a meaningful way, including expanding Medicaid, uh, is highly frustrating to so many people. And I wanted to add my voice to the voice of many others, calling on him and other political leaders to make the common sense decision to expand Medicaid. Number two, uh, until recently, uh, I, I was employed by the University of Mississippi in most of that time in leadership roles. And I had a responsibility for issues beyond my own personal passions, beyond my own personal passion about healthcare access. And so um, the, the, the same people who are making decisions about Medicaid expansion were the ones who had control of the budget uh, for higher education, in, including the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And people that I needed to have a, a uh, meaningful relationship with. And so now that my time in leadership is over, and I'm not bound by uh, by having to put the university's priorities ahead of my own personal priorities, I'm free to have the conversations that I need to have about health care access. And what do you plan on doing with those conversations going forward? Uh, you're not in uh, a leadership position uh, at a member institution of uh, institutions of higher learning. Uh, do you plan on staying engaged in, in this conversation as uh, lawmakers and the medical community seek uh, a solution to the, the, the health care crisis? Indeed. Indeed, I do. Uh, I, uh, I'm involved both in Mississippi and in other parts of the country. I'm currently uh, the volunteer lead for healthcare access for the American Heart Association. And the Heart Association has a strong interest in access to healthcare. Uh, and and so I'm, I'm involved in trying to increase access to healthcare through Medicaid expansion uh, nationally and in Mississippi, and we'll continue to do so. Well, Chancellor Dan Jones, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak with us. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks. Coming up, the House passes a bill that would divert special tax revenue in Jackson away from roads and bridges and into the water system. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A bill is advancing in the Mississippi legislature that would reroute funding from a special sales tax in Jackson towards improvements in water infrastructure. House Bill 1168 would modify a statute passed in 2014, which raised the sales tax in Jackson from 7% to 8%. Revenue from the tax hike is roughly $16 million a year, according to lawmakers, and is designated for general infrastructure. Any use of those funds must currently be approved by an appointed commissioner. But the new measure would circumvent the commission by designating the revenue strictly for improvements to the city's water system. Republican Trey Lamar, who chairs the House Ways and Means Committee, presented the bill on the floor. He says the bill was drafted after seeing comments from Ted Hennepin, the federally appointed administrator chosen to oversee the water system. That position was met with resistance from members of the Jackson delegation, including Democrat Ronnie Crudup Jr. of South Jackson. You made a couple of comments saying that the third party manager, you know, saying he's needing this money. Have you talked to him about this? You talking about the the federally appointed uh, new guy? Yes. No, I hadn't. He's welcome in my office anytime, but I I haven't met him yet. Wait, wait, so you made the comment saying that he said, you know, he's needing this money. So you're you're saying you're trying to give him something he didn't. Well, ask no, I've just I've read there's, you know, can't always believe everything you see in the media. I get that. But uh, I have read several stories where he that are reporting on uh, public meetings that he's had here since he's been on on the ground in Jackson. And um, that's my understanding is he's looking for some immediate cash. Well, I think it'd be a good idea if we met with him first before it, we did this. His he is welcome in my office anytime. Also, gentlemen, um, you know, since we do know that the $600 million is coming, so why are we making this agreement now and saying that we, we can't do, we have to just water and sewer? Why can't it be bridges? When's now, it coming, gentlemen? Well, it's coming soon. We know it's coming. Okay. I, now, I, I don't can, know I when can it's speak coming. on this, gentlemen, probably more than anybody else because I stay in South Jackson. I was out of water last year for about three weeks. I was out of water this year for about two weeks. Right. And you know what? Still, I don't think anybody in my community, in my constituents, made the request to have this bill done. I understand. So, gentlemen, has anybody from Jackson asked you to do this bill? Well, uh, we discussed it in committee. Uh, As I told the lady, I met with several folks from the city. It's been discussed. Um, You know, this bill. Can you name a name with a special? A specially granted sales tax that this body in 2014 chose to give to the city of Jackson or its representatives, and we directed it to be spent on infrastructure. It just makes sense, gentlemen, when people have, you know, you've got literally restaurants and businesses closing in Jackson because they they can't serve people the water out of the tab. You've got sewer running across the ground. You've got, as you said, 
households without water for extended periods of time. I don't know that I understand the objection to focusing an existing stream of revenue that we currently have that would be not an increase or new tax to prioritize that for water in the immediate time frame. That's all this bill does. And my question is, why are we doing this in the residents of Jackson? No um, person in Jackson asked for this. Well, gentlemen, I, I would disagree I, with that. My, gentlemen, my, listen, maybe you disagree with my opinion, but let me, let me finish it. The people of Jackson want water. Many of the objections to the bill cited the need to continue work fixing the city's roads and bridges, projects that depend on funding from the added sales tax. House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez says the bill also undermines the commission established in 2014 to oversee infrastructure spending. So with $15 million, you could do 15 miles of overlay on a road. Or you could take and fix potholes in 20 or 30 miles of road in Jackson that would actually do some good. We had a young lady hit a pothole, a drainage hole, a few years back and, and, and end up dying as a result of that, of that accident. So you got a commission set up. We had a long, extensive debate on this floor that that commission was set up because nobody trusted, nobody in this body, except some of us, trusted the city of Jackson to make decisions about what they would do with that money. So you set up a commission, and they make decisions on what to do with them. Nobody questions, nobody thinks the money's been wasted. We just anecdotally, you don't call uh, 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 nobody in public works, you don't call anybody from commission, you don't talk to the, the, the third-party administrator, you don't talk to anybody. The, 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 we, we cuss the media in this, in this body, but when we want to make a $15 million decision, we're going to make it based on what you read in the paper. Now, let, let's be consistent. This is not about whether or not you want Jackson to be responsible. You put your safeguards in place for that. This is another one of those paternalistic ideas that we're going to tell y'all what to do because we want to punish you while we're doing it. Chairman Lamar closed on the bill, saying the city needs cash on hand to address water metering issues. So think about how much the system could be reformed if 40, 50 percent or more of the meters of the people who use the water actually worked. Imagine that, a novel thought. I don't know about where y'all live, but where I live, I get a water bill. It's, it's the way the cities around this state work. That's not happening in Jackson. They need money to fix the meters. Last time I checked, north of $16 million would help with a $10 million problem. The bill passed the House 76 to 41. Coming up, opening the door for package stores to operate on Sundays. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 
Owners and operators of package stores in Mississippi may soon be able to open on Sundays. This week, the State House of Representatives approved a bill that would allow liquor stores in, quote, wet jurisdictions to operate between 1 and 6 p.m. on Sundays. Representative Jeffrey Harness, a Democrat from Fayette, co-authored the bill. He tells our Lacey Alexander it's an opportunity to give local governments more autonomy over the issue. It's simple, it's very simple. It just allows stores to sell alcohol. And I'm sure by the time, I'm hoping that the bill passes, but I feel that uh, we should probably add some additions to the bill if they're not already in the bill, it should be, you know, give counties and cities options if they want to opt in or opt out of selling liquor or alcohol on Sundays. And last time we spoke, you mentioned that this would be an economic opportunity over anything else. Talk to me a little bit more about that. What would it mean for these stores to be able to sell alcohol on Sundays? Well, as far as the store owners are concerned, you know, they'll be able to, you know, generate some revenue. Uh, where, you know, when they are prohibited otherwise from making money on Sundays, if they're, you know, they're a liquor store, uh, you know, any store that's, sell, that's selling uh, liquor, they'll be able to make money. And then the revenue derived from the sale of the alcohol, the tax revenue, will come to the state uh, and the local governments. Well, I believe there's a, there's a revenue bill out there now that's going to give direct more tax uh more sales tax revenue to the state, to the cities and the counties. So I believe it would be a big win for the state of Mississippi as well as the local governments uh, to generate some more revenue. Um, I studied hard and I thought hard about this issue uh, before I uh, had to be drafted. I believe that at the end of the day, uh, it's time for Mississippi to move forward and, you know, allow people to sell alcohol on Sundays. And do you think the reason that Mississippi has such a reluctance to sell alcohol on Sundays, do you think that's for religious reasons? Why do you think that rule's in place in the first place? Well, you know, historically they call them, they call them blue, blue rules, uh, where laws prohibiting the sale of certain items on certain days. And I believe that, you know, it's just the, it's archaic. I'm a religious person, but, you know, it's really illegal to create laws based upon religion. You know, we can't prohibit, by law, you can't prohibit, we can't, this, uh, a statute prohibiting the sale of alcoholic uh, beverages, you can't say you can't sell it because of religious reasons. That's against the law anyway. So, uh, of course, you come up with other reasons, health and safety reasons, and I understand that, but I believe that this is, in the, I believe this would be the best thing, the best move for this state. Gotcha. And your co-author on this bill is on the other side of the aisle in the Republican Party. And, of course, the bill passed with um, enough votes in the House. Why do you think both sides agree on this issue? You know, to be honest with you, I believe both state, both sides agree on a lot of issues. <laughs> and if you look at the the history in the last four or five years, a lot of many of our bills are, are passed, you know, bipartisan across across party lines. But we have this stigma that, you know, we are so divided. Now, on, on certain hot-topic issues, we disagree on, but on most issues we agree on. I believe that they agree because the citizens, their constituents want it, number one. Uh, and number two, we need to we need to get revenue, revenue in this state any way we can. You know, if it's, not a, if, if it's not bad social policy, 
I believe that we need to test the waters on it. And same thing with the lottery, you know, it's kind of like a lottery issue. And, Representative, I know you've got to get back, so I've got one more question for you. You said earlier that you hope that counties will have the autonomy to make their own decisions about this rule. Why do you think it's important for counties to make that choice ultimately? Well, I believe, you know, I believe the local government should have an option because they know their constituents better than, than, than you know, I, I know my constituents in my district, but I don't know the constituents. I don't know how the constituency is in Pontotoc County, you know. Uh, I don't know, if, you know, if that's something they want to do. So they should have the right to be able to decide, you know, hey, we we'll, we'll, we won't opt in right now. We'll do it. We'll see what, how it goes, and we'll make our decision later, you know. Representative, thank you so much for taking time. Yes, ma'am. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.